of Lydia Ojo. Why are they I am a Mango. Oh no. I never come on. You catch him and your bar. It's a man of Maringa. I never come on. You catch him and your bar. Let a caravan and a vampire go. I never come on. You catch him and your bar. Madame Tiswar in a Samuel prophète de la sape.
So uh, welcome to the Counter Vortex podcast once again, where uh, we're opening up with some music from a country that I would imagine that most of our listeners have not heard of called Ambazonia. Uh, And uh, we're with um, in the studio with Eben Egbe and Amy Dalton. The studio being my apartment, because we're (laughs) podcasting. (laughs) A group that's for the moment calling itself the Global Initiative to End the Cameroon's Colonial Conflict. Welcome aboard, Eben and Amy. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having us. Sure. And uh, maybe you could tell us, for starters, uh, what language we were just hearing in the music. Oh, yeah, that is Bayang, Um, uh, one of uh, um, Ambazonia's, I think, almost 200 different local languages. Hmm. That is one of them. But that's a pretty big, big um, uh, clan area in the um, uh, western, uh, southwestern end of Ambazonia. That particular language is spoken also in part of Nigeria, mm-hmm. right, uh, the Bayang language. And um, and I happen to be of Bayang descent. Ah, okay. <laughs> of Bayang ancestry. So, um, yeah, it's it's really good to imagine that your audience uh, is partaking in our cultural uh, um, experience, our cultural roots, some um, uh, things that came out of our culture that uh, your audience will get the opportunity to be part of this one vortex of this good music. <laughs> and that's a, a Bantu tongue? Yes, it is a Bantu tongue. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yes, and yes. Uh, Amba is what the, I assume uh, Ambazoni is named for the the Amba people or the Amba language. It, it's named for the Ambas Bay. There's mm-hmm. a bay mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. on of the on the Atlantic coast, mm-hmm. on the Atlantic coast of Ambazonia or that part of Africa, that whole Atlantic coast where Africa turns from east to west. Right, right there. That when you go further inland, that is Ambas Bay, mm-hmm. and uh, that is where the Ambazonian. Um, uh, a community that's a beginning from Ambas Bay all the way to the Econ River in the north. Mm-hmm. And that whole area has this, f- um, they have been kind of, the topology has been quite instrumental in shaping uh, the place. So on the south, you have the Atlantic Ocean. Right. On the north, you have the Econ River, which is one of the biggest rivers in that area. On the west, you have Mount Cameroon or Mount Fako, as the locals like to call it, which is the biggest, highest mountain in West Africa. And on the east, you have the River Manu, which is the biggest river in that particular area. So this community was kind of like, in ancient times, they were just cut off from the rest of their neighbors. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. both alter, uh, free shaped their culture 
and even shaped the way their colonial history proceeded. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the first people to colonize them would be the British. When the British would colonize them, or try to colonize them, because the Amber people hate when you say they were colonized by the British, because the British did not administer. The British declared to Europeans that we've colonized this area, but the people fought them until the time when the colonialism was over. So they reject the idea that they were colonized because they're like, we, we didn't have any British governor here. We were fighting them. He was stuck in the, mm -hmm. in the bay there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, but the British had also colonized Nigeria. But between Nigeria and Ambazonia, they had this huge river and they couldn't integrate it as part of their colony Wait, in Nigeria. So the, the mount on the other side, it just made it difficult. And so when Germany finally got involved in colonialism later on, because Germany got involved in colonialism later than all of Europe, that's one thing people don't seem to realize. It was kind of Bismarck decided, I am done with all these little German tribes running all over here. And he used force to create by force the German state. And when Bismarck did that, suddenly Europe woke up one morning and there was this huge behemoth in the middle of Europe. All these little, little countries that used to compete with France and everybody, suddenly all of them were in one country. Yeah, yeah. And everybody was like, hey, hey, we don't need to fight over colonialism because then the global economy was driving on tropical crops. Today's oil that time it was tropical crops right. and everybody needed them for the economy belgium had become the leader without right. um, so-called scramble for africa scramble for africa yeah. that mm -hmm. was where the rubber came to wire the united states and europe without it there would be no electricity without it there would be no skyscrapers without it there would be no cities but as that starts evolving uh the germans uh, pro, uh want colonies too so the british and the french who had earlier gotten colonies decided we need to give the germans some colonies so that they do, they, we don't get a war over colonial tropical crops. And in that protest, the, the British were like, oh my God, this little territory that we have here, this Ambazonia has been kind of difficult to manage, you know, mm -hmm. separately. So we'll give it so to the we'll Germans. just give that to the Germans. Gotcha, gotcha. And they gave that to the Germans, <laughs> and the Germans combined that together with part of what is today Cameroon, part of what is today Central African Republic, part of what is today um, Chad, and they put it together and they created... Then, so first it was an English colony, then now it, they were now, Ambazonia was now part of the German colony of Cameroon. So that's the, the colonial history. And then eventually Germany lost the war. When once Germany, eventually Europeans World go to, War One, World War One, right. Europeans would go to yeah. war anyway because of colonialism, mm -hmm. because of colonial um, tropical crops. That was the tropical mm -hmm. economy that right. eventually they still went to war despite attempting to right. mitigate not going to war. They went to war, Germany lost the war. They were like, you know what? We're going to take everything we tried to give you last time around here because we're trying to be nice. And so, um, uh, of course, Cameroon was taken from the Germany. And, of course, it was just natural that the split happened in the same, some of the places where the pieces had been attached. So part of, uh, part of it was given back to Central African Republic. Part went to the others. And then the whole of that part got given to the French. And the English part got given back to the, Br the British because they were like, you know what, these Germans have built some good... Um, uh, plantations here, we can take that. And also, remember, this is at the bottom of the biggest volcano in West Africa. So it was volcanic soil, plantations, some of the best coffee that the British were getting out of their colonial territory. Some of the biggest German plantations in all of Africa were built in Ambazonia because of the the the, the uh, volcanic soil there. Mm. Okay, so yeah. what is today Ambazonia was at that time uh, British Southern Cameroon. So, so first it was it was uh, the British colony of Victoria. Then it became part of the German colony of Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And then when Germany lost the war, it became the UN Trust Territory, the, 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 League, the League of Nations Trust 
uh, the League of Nations Trust Territory Ma- mandate mandate yeah. under British administration, right, 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 which right. they called British Cameroon at the yeah. time, and then a UN and Trust Territory UN after, Trust after, territory after the Second World after War, after the Second yeah. World War, and then um, um, like a UN Trust Territory, like all Trust Territory, including Palestine, all of them were supposed to be prepared for independence. Right. Yeah, yeah. So and very so, much the same situation as Iraq and Syria where it was divided between the British and the French after the is, First World War. That is very correct. That, that's what happened to... <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. But what, 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 Ambazonia coming under the British and yes. the rest of Cameroon coming under the French. That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And then eventually um, uh, the, the, the uh, trust territories were prepared for independence so um, uh, Cameroon eventually got independence in 1960. And that was not we have to remember, I, I cannot let down my Cameroon comrades who fought and died for it, that they became independent. What happened was that the French destroyed the independent movement in Cameroon. And when they realized that they had completely killed the United the Union of Cameroon people, which was the Communist Party in Cameroon, when they eliminated all their leaders, I'm, I'm not talking about jail, I'm talking about killing them, then France declared Cameroon has gotten independence and gave power to the colonial administration. All the colonial staff mm-hmm. that used to work for them became the new government, and the Minister of Defense was still the French soldiers that were still there. Mm-hmm. So you had this new African country with a white French Minister of Defense <sighs> who was called a technical advisor. Mm-hmm. Basically, mm-hmm. they shaped the policy. So he was a de facto Minister of Defense? He, he shaped all Cameroon military yeah. policy. There, there, there's a book called, uh, um, there's a recent book that was published called Le Genocide de Bameliki, the genocide of the Bameliki. That was mm-hmm. an ethnic group that the French tried to wipe out mm-hmm. in the attempt to impose. In what part of the country was that? That, was, that, was, that would be in the west of Cameroon, mm-hmm. right? So that would be in the east of Ambazonia, right? Mm-hmm. In the frontier mm-hmm. between Ambazonia and the Republic of Cameroon, mm-hmm. which is French Cameroon. They basically, some of the first napalms uh, that the French eventually uh, used in Vietnam, they started it there. Wow. Wow. Uh, some of the typical practice of, of burning villages in, in Vietnam with napalm, they were first practiced in the west of Cameroon. The history of that shock of that war that ended in the 1960s, if you can call it, is still vibrating in the west of Cameroon up to today. That is why you probably, if you're following the news in Cameroon, you hear that yes, uh, three, last week ago there was this huge uproar when the Minister of Information said, you know the Bamalikis as an ethnic group, he said, they are acting like um, the arrogant Jews who got the Germans to kill them all. <sighs> he said that. Charming. Yes, he said <laughs> that. And everybody was like, you didn't really say no, that. Which ethnic group is this? The Bamalikis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They where the group, it just happened that by accident they were very popular. So the, the movement for independence took a lot of roots in that community, right? And so the French decided that the best way to um, uh, do it was to sip, split, divide and conquer, make them the enemy, and then attack them. And that's how it went. There's a book called Le Genocide de Bamaliki. It just came out two years ago. There's a book called... Published La Fran- in France? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a book called La Franca Afrique, La Plus Grande. Uh, Scandale de la République, um, uh, which was written by Vichaf in 1989. So there are a lot of recent literature starting to come out on exactly the scale and the amount of viciousness of the French neocolonial state, in particular in that part of Africa, which um, uh, if you look at it, there are some very scary pieces of data. So for example, um, uh, the um, uh, 2018 Democracy Index just came out. Um, um, 23 countries that form what is called Franc-Afrique, 
19 of them are... Francophone the, Africa. Yes. Yeah. But it's beyond just being that they speak French. It's also the politics. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 19 of them... French fall, sphere of influence. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> 19 of them are in the bottom rung of that democracy. And they fall mm-hmm. as some of the most authoritarian mm-hmm. countries in the world. Mm-hmm. If you look at uh, the Uppsala Institute um, uh, data on crisis, that is basically conflicts in the world, about 30% of all conflicts in the world are happening in one of these countries. So think about it. The uh, Frank African territory creates f- accounts for 5% of the human population, but 30% of the world war, of the human wars that are going on. On the planet? On the planet. Oh, yeah? But if you put them together, they account just for 5% mm-hmm. of the human population. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there's this thing that always happens. You hear uh, analysts who say, well, about half of all conflicts in the world are happening in Africa. You need to ask what part of Africa those are happening. Mm-hmm. Because once you zoom in, you suddenly realize most of them are happening in, other than Sudan and Somalia and I think one other one, all of those are all happening. Well, in Nigeria, Africa. quite obviously. Nigeria yeah. has a conflict, but that is a different kind of a conflict. It's not Central African conflict. It's not Chadian conflict. It's not the kind of conflict that we have in Ivory Coast, where the French took the president, took him to Den Haag. Den Haag is like, we don't have any evidence of crime against this guy. And it's like, well, are you going to send him back to go and become president? They're like, no, 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 just keep him, you know. So in the context of Ambazonia, it's a situation where we we are one of those um, uh, territories under French neo-colonial Africa that are subsumed under this war dynamic this of these wars that I just mentioned that, you know, more than 30% of the wars in Africa happening in these Francophone African countries. And the the thing, if you look at it, at the time when in 1960, so Cameroon gets independence in 1960, and in 1961, Ambazonia is supposed to get independence. Okay, supposed so, to according to what? According to the UN Trust Territory Agreement. The, mm-hmm. UN, the UN mandate territory, everybody that signed it, it said to the British and to the French and to everybody else, you cannot keep these territories. We have just declared colonialism a crime against humanity in mm-hmm. 1964, thanks to Nkrumah. Um, if the coloniality, colonialism is a crime against humanity, then you need to prepare these countries for independence. So that was the agreement. And that is on that basis that the Francophone Cameroonians said, we need to get our independence. We can't stay with you under French control indefinitely. And that's how the war started over there. In Ambazonia, the British... Oh, I'm sorry, over there, meaning... In, in French Cameroon. Mm-hmm. That's how the independence mm-hmm. war started mm-hmm. in 19... Um, I, was, I think 1950, mm-hmm. 53. Mm-hmm. In Ambazonia, they too were like, wait, we, we're done with this British control. We need to get it done with. And the British were like, hey, listen, you um, uh, as new classified documents is showing now, the British were like, well, we have control over Nigeria. We want oil. The economy, the global economy by... 1945s have shifted from tropical crops to oil. Mm-hmm. It was no more tropical. Right. So now oil the was moment. the currency of the global economy, right. and they had just discovered oil in Nigeria, and Britain was not about to leave the oil in Nigeria go. Mm-hmm. That is how Britain rigged the first independence election to put in Nigeria a, a regime that they could at least control from the oil point of view. Mm-hmm. Ambazonia needed independence because they couldn't become part of Nigeria by de facto, based on the United Nations Trust Agreement. Right. And Britain had said, well, we're just administering them together to make it easy to administer. So now Britain said, well, but they, we, don't, we don't think they, they can get in. They had their own constitution. They had a parliament. Talking about Ambazonia. Ambazonia, mm-hmm. Ambazonia mm-hmm. had its own constitution. It, it had its own parliament. Uh, or since when? Uh, that is in the 1950s. In, in the 1950s, the mm-hmm. Ambazonia was the first country in West Africa to get a democratic transfer of government from one elected government to another. That this, happened okay, in 1953. Before, in the formal before, independence. Before formal independence, yeah. but mm-hmm. as in trust territory, in British um, colonial systems, 
they had uh, local control for most things right. except for yeah. for military and economy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the the Ambazonian government, local government, uh, uh, um, administrative government, which control everything except foreign policy and the military, that government people elected a new democratic government in 1953 to replace the old one. Mm-hmm. It had not happened in West Africa as at that time. It was mm-hmm. the first time they had a peaceful transfer of power from one um, uh, party, local administration. local administration, to another. And that history is the driving machine for the, resist- the resistance movement. It is that memory that is driving we were a lot ready of for this. Yes. Yeah. That's how All right. people see All right. So, presumably, presumably Ambazonia was seeking independence even at that time. So, how did it wind up under the control of Cameroon? So, there were two. The first thing that happened was that um, uh, the British were supposed to frame the policy of how they, they, they had the United Nations Trust Agreement. Their task is to prepare the territory for independence. They reported in 1956, uh, they reported to the UN that, you know, Ambazonia is not ready for independence. We need more time. Ambazonians were like, no. Or, um, who, who reported? The British The did? British. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they reported, they said, you know, we, we need more time. Um, uh, and there was even one political party that said, yeah, maybe we should give them more time. The other political parties were like, no, no, no. They need to go. And so then Britain then said, they cannot, they don't have the capacity to, to, to control themselves. They would they can only get independence by joining Nigeria or Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And Ambazonians were like, okay, let's... You should talk about the memo. Yes. Uh, Ambazonians were like, like, so right now there's a memo uh, that was declassified from the United States ambassador to Lagos in that time. In the memo, he explains why Ambazonia must not be led to get independence. Mm-hmm. His explanation... U.S. In ambassador to Nigeria. To Nigeria at uh-huh. the time. In the memo, he said, he said the communist-inspired forces, because Ambazonia had a very strong labor movement, a strong teachers uh, union. Uh, the country was essentially being run by unions, by farmers, cooperatives, um, uh, teachers unions, and what was the other uh, infrastructure? And they had um, um, public works. That's how the ministers, everything was built around those three institutions. Hmm. And so, um, uh, and, and Kwame Nkrumah was then leading the movement in Africa. Of Ghana. Of Ghana. And so they... They, uh, they struggled, the UPC, which was fighting for Cameroon's independence, used Ambazonia like their base, right? Most of the whole, the, this is where these activists from Cameroon, they would run over to Ambazonia to protect themselves from the French who were killing them over mm-hmm. in Cameroon. <laughs> and so um, the um, Nkwame Nkrumah visited the Sekou Touré, visited the, in the memo, the, the American ambassador said, the Sekou Touré of? Of Guinea, mm-hmm. who was the person that challenged the French openly most powerful way. The American ambassador said the connection between Sekou Touré of Guinea and Kwame Nkrumah of Ghana, this connection, this communist-inspired connection was was built up, was created in in Ambazonia, which he called the Southern Cameroons. Mm -hmm. He said, in another circumstance, it would have been a great opportunity for these people to get their democratic rights. But under the circumstance, it would be a threat to stability in Nigeria and in Cameroon, where communist-inspired forces have clearly already lost, mm-hmm. right? That's the memo, the classified memo. And then mm-hmm. there's also another memo too from the from the French um, uh, um, uh, uh, provincial delegate who was based out of Cameroon, and also the British. Um, uh, I've forgotten his name. The guy who was the British governor for Nigeria. He wrote a book that he where he he explains why. Britain made the choices that they made to try to... Okay, right, so, the, so the, the, the choice was that Ambazonia was not to become independent, but why uh, union with Cameroon as opposed to Nigeria? Okay, so this is the thing. Britain had been running Ambazonia as part of 
They said for administrative reason to cut administrative costs, they were running Ambazonia on behalf of the UN, but as part of a single administration under Nigeria. Right. And so then um, at the UN plebiscite, the the Ambazonians said, we want independence. They're like, no, you're going to, we're going to say you get independence, but you're going to continue administering yourself by either becoming part of a confederate state with Cameroon, where you keep your constitution, they keep their constitution, but the two of you work together in one country, or you join Nigeria. We refuse you, you that you get independence. Mm-hmm. You cannot mm-hmm. get independence. All right, so they opted for a confederal um, union with, with Cameroon. With Cameroon. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was another important factor under that. There was also the discussion in Africa at the time that said, it's true that the Europeans messed up with us. We should start rebuilding a new Africa that undermines all the European borders that were created. Mm-hmm. That conversation was very deep in Ambazonia, saying, you know, we need to be able, as Africans, to forget about the boundaries the way the Europeans frame them and create a new future for ourselves. But the African Charter said to avoid too much wars in the continent, every country at independence, their boundaries must be frozen. Right, right, right. right and right. Nigeria, that means that in 1960, when Cameroon got its independence, its boundaries were frozen. Mm-hmm, in those mm-hmm. boundaries, there was no Ambazonia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so when Ambazonia got its own independence, its own boundaries, of course, were frozen. But the, the UN had proposed that you can either only get your independence by joining that right. or that and they were right. like okay we're going to join them as a federal confederate state which means that we're going to get a lot of our, in, our autonomy right. you know institutions so let me guess this promise mm. was betrayed that <laughs> promise was yeah. definitely betrayed right. because yeah. um uh the 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 way the un tried to make up say oh don't worry there's going to be a confederacy conference after the voting that will bring the british the french cameroon and ambazonia to design a new grand plan on the step-by-step um, uh, uh, um, uh, combining of the territories. The Ambazonians were like, okay, no problem. The day after the election, after the plebiscite, where they said, okay, we're not joining Nigeria, we're joining over here. Oh, that, this was 1960? 1960. Uh-huh. The, the British handed portfolio over to Cameroon and the French army, the Cameroon army marched across the border. Ambazonia had only a police force because the British were maintaining the military. Mm. They marched over the border and the first conf- conflagration started right then with the police, mm-hmm. the local police. Mm-hmm. And the Cameroon government disbanded the police. And then the minister, the prime minister at the time, Gonjoa, who was like, what, what is going on? You know? And of course, they, 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 they had intellectuals like Fallon who said, listen, we can educate our brothers. They just came from a crisis. They are in a war. We can work this out. We can work this out. What they did was they, assassinate, they first they deposed, they helped depose Ngomjua. And then they assassinated him after that. I'm sorry, this the, was the independent the prime leader, minister, the pro-independent yeah. prime yeah, minister yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, of Ambazonia. They helped depose him and then oh, assassinated of Ambazonia. Mm-hmm. Then they, they assassinated him. And then the next thing they did was right, the, the they who assassinated the him, Cameroon government, the, the, mm-hmm. the, the French neo-colonial government in Cameroon. That's how mm-hmm. our comrades in Cameroon mm-hmm. like us. To All right. Call so it. how how was he? Was it extrajudicial or did they have some kind of he a token trial? He was poisoned. No, no. They deposed him and mm-hmm. then they poisoned him. But everybody in his entire entourage knew what happened. Or completely extrajudicial then. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that kind of created a panic so that when the Cameroon government disbanded the parliament, the Ambassadorian parliament, the first thing they did was the army marched, they surrounded the house of the prime minister, they declared that the parliament has been disbanded, that mm-hmm. it's economically not feasible. There was no response. Mm-hmm. People were like, okay, you know what? We, they, That's when this idea started saying, listen, we have UN documents. We don't need to worry. The world will come to understand all of this. 
you know, and then people just believe that we're going to be able to talk our way out of this because this is there's a legal framework. Their boundaries were frozen, as are separate. There's a constitution that was agreed upon. There's UN commitments that didn't work. We're going to fix this. We don't need to fight. Okay, but anything. what actually happened? So what happened is once the government once the government was disbanded, the military became the driving force of policy. And then the next thing was the labor unions. Labor unions were disbanded. The entire hardware that had been created for the cooperative, the farmer cooperative, the entire heavy machinery that was being shared by communities to help them with their farming, corporate education, cooperative education for farmers to help them produce better, where the, the, corp, the national cooperative in Ambazina was disbanded and its reserves were totally pillaged. The um, every economic infrastructure in Ambazina was shut down. So you had two ports that were driving economic activity. The two ports were shut down. They were like, you know, you don't need this. You can use the port over in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. The next thing was uh, the fastest growing airline in West Africa at the time was the quote unquote Cameroon Trans Airline, which was in Ambazonia, the Ambazonian airline that was disbanded. Mm-hmm. No airport, all the four airports that were existing were disbanded. All right, so a system of internal colonialism, so to speak. Internal colonialism, we just like to always emphasize that the government in Cameroon itself is a neocolonial regime. Mm-hmm. So it was an extension of a neocolonial regime. That's what under, our, the, under the French. Under the French. Yeah. That's what we underestimated. When our people opted to join with Cameroon, the logic was that they were already independent. The mistake our people made was the assumption that Cameroon was independent. Cameroon was not. It was a neocolonial regime. And so suddenly we find ourselves fighting a new colonial regime that was not an African, uh, an independent regime trying to create a new future, but it was just a new colonial regime. And that is a similar case happened in Gambia. Gambia and Senegal joined together. Gambians suddenly realized, no, 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 these people are not independent. They were like, no, sorry, excuse us. We, it was a mistake. They split it back. Mm-hmm. So once Ambazonia realized the military was the boot. And again, the Senegal under the French and, and Gambia, Gambia, former British colony. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and so what would happen then in Ambazonia is that for the next 40 years, we would have teachers uprising because the teachers were always the target because they wanted to control education policy. The idea was we are going to produce laborers over there. We're going to produce intellectuals over here. You're going to get... Okay, and was, was language a key uh, issue here in terms of education? Language is being used as a shorthand. Language is being used. It's a shorthand, you know. When you talk to some people, they just say, well, you know, the Francophones and the Anglophones. Language is being used as a shorthand, right? When the Cameroon government decides that they're going to try people, cases in the courts in Ambazonia are going to be tried in French. It's not about the fact that they want us to learn French. It's the fact that they know that most of our people don't speak French, first right. of all. Right. And that's not a guarantee of fair justice. But also that they need to change the, the, the legal framework that we have. We have... Um, uh, Ambazonia came into the union with a, a common law-based judicial system, a civil liberty common law-based judicial system that they inherited from the British administration, right? The Cameroon government has the uh, civil law system, which basically the politicians decide law, right? The government, the president decides law. You don't argue with that. So they got, they, And so they, this were constantly clashing. They were like, you guys need to forget about your so-called... Um, uh, civil law-based system. We need to get one harmonized law. And we are like, no, the Constitution says we keep our law, you keep yours. Mm-hmm. And so they decided, oh, so language has been um, uh, a shorthand. That's the way our people describe the Francophones. Our people are not meaning the people who speak French over there. Our people are meaning the regime over there that mm-hmm. is doing all what it is doing to us. Mm-hmm. And so, and that is a, one of the very horrible frustrations when um, uh, uh, the, the Washington Post writes something like, um, um, 
colonial linguistic heritage is the cause of a horror nightmare in Africa, in Cameroon. Uh, people are like, it has nothing to do with... I remember one of our comrades, it's like, really? These British people must be really, really, really full of themselves. That we are fighting and dying for their language? Really? Really? You people really think we're fighting because we want to speak English? You know, so it is not. Language has always been a shorthand for the exploitative and the brutelessness. Right, but in addition to the colonial languages, you also have the indigenous languages. That is true. But in the indigenous languages, we don't, like, like I speak Bayang. I can I speak Bayang with people. In, in the language that people generally communicate in the daily life is, is right. pidgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that pidgin is kind of very fluid. Based on English. It's based on English and on, it's based on all the colonial languages, mm -hmm. right? It has German, it has French, it mm -hmm. has Italian. They're all mm -hmm. one or two it depends on what part of Africa you are. Right, right, That right. version of pigeon reflection. Yeah, I meant your version of... Yes, so the, the issue has... the People call it language. People say the Francophones. But it's as a shorthand to describe the experience of this colonial, mm. this neo-colonial repression. Okay, so as this internal colonialism was established, there continued to be civil resistance. Yes. Labor resistance. Labor resistance. Particularly among the educators. Yes. Uh, but there wasn't actual armed struggle. No. Mm -hmm. uh, the movement uh, finally congealed in, in 1990. So the Berlin Wall collapsed and the excuse that was justified for the rootlessness across most of Francophone Africa was that they are communists. Everybody needed to be killed because he was a communist. Mm. Now the Berlin Wall was gone, and the excuse of communism to justify um, uh, authoritarianism was off the table, right? There was a massive uprising across Africa, from Togo to Chad, everywhere people were like, there are no more communists to kill, we want rewrites. And so um, in Ambazonia, we, our people were like, oh my, this is our chance. So the Ambazonians declared a an Ambazonian declared a national political party called the Social Democratic Party. The state had a state party. They were it was illegal to have a political party. So he asked to get a political party. They denied they refused. He said I have a right based on my Ambazonian roots. Uh, politically the Ambazonian constitution that I'm supposed to be running on says I have a right to start a political party. He launched the Social Democratic Party. At the launching people were slayed. I think six people were shot dead. But it stayed. Because of that, the regime... This was 1990? 1990, 18, 1990, because after 89, Berlin Wall yeah, goes down, yeah, yeah. and the wind starts. 1990, it gets to us, to Ambazonia. Um, uh, the Social Democratic Party is launched in Ambazonia, and of course, it spreads out. Cameroonians also have been fighting for their rights, so it was an opportunity for them to, to get their rights. So they joined the Social Democratic Party, they created other political parties, and they, then the, the struggle in terms of the specifics of the Ambazonian case now conjured around what became known as the Southern Cameroon National Council. That's when the Southern Cameroon National, National Council. Council. Yes. Mm. Southern Cameroon is right. another term for Amazonia. Mm -hmm. That's an official. Right. This is Southern Cameroons plural. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. The 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 history is is a little long about the Cameroons. So there theoretically there have been four Cameroons. Yeah. Okay. okay. No, no, no. Let's, uh, no, no bri so briefly, brief, briefly. Four, four bri Cameroons. Four Cameroons. What are the briefly, four Cameroons? The four Cameroons are briefly the German Cameroon that I talked yeah, about. Yeah. And then there is what our local people indigenously refer to as La Republic du Cameroon, which is the French Cameroon. Right, right. 
Then there used to be Northern Cameroon, mm -hmm. which became part of Nigeria. Mm -hmm. At the place, mm -hmm. they decided to go with Nigeria. They mm -hmm. didn't decide to go. Mm -hmm. And then there's Ambazonia, which used to be Southern Cameroons, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is now part of. So that's how there's, there are all these many Cameroons. Okay, so what you call Ambazonia is... Uh, Southern, the former UN Trust Territory of Southern Cameroons. Okay, no, so why, why if, there were, it was, if it was one of the four, why mm -hmm. does it have the plural? Uh, because um, uh, the British called the Northern Cameroon and the Southern Cameroon. So they had two Cameroons for the mm -hmm, British. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the British is, you have to think about this, are colonial officials just naming things. There's mm -hmm, no thinking, right, there's okay, no process. Right. So the British were like, oh, we have two Cameroons. We have the North and the South. So we have Southern Cameroons and Northern Cameroons. Okay, okay. And, yeah. and then there's Cameroon, La Republic Cameroon, with the French were like, the difference between our own and yours is that we call our own in French. All right. right. So, so the struggle begins yeah. to reanimate in uh, in 1990. In 1990, that's when it 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 goes from being labor unions fighting, teachers cooperative fighting, to a movement that is starting to bring everybody around the table as an organized movement with a political agenda. Before it was teachers always fighting to protect their students. It was lawyers always fighting to get access. So. That was when the, the Southern Cameroon National Council is created with um, uh, the slogan, the force of argument, not the argument of force. Mm -hmm. Because they were like, we have the law in our sight. There's no point for us to fight anything. So an unarmed movement, a civil unarmed movement. Unarmed movement. Yeah. It mm -hmm. stayed like that. And it electoral, it finally, thanks to that movement, the SDF, the Social Democratic Party, got a lot of boost in the community. The Cameroon, the Cameroon government finally gave up and said, okay, people can get their own parties. What we're going to just do is that the government is going to create a lot of other parties and then hmm. corrupt elections. And okay, all so that. by this time, the dictatorship of Paul Bia is in full blown. Had that been is, established. Had been established in 1982. So Paul Bia uh, gets back to Cameroon in 1975 after he had marched in France against Fran Cameroon's independence. Ugh. So they sent him back. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. He was part of the... the or so he had been an opponent of independence. Yeah, he had been in France. What the French did once the UN had declared that uh, independent crime, colonialism was a crime against humanity, mm -hmm. the French response was to get former colonial people from all over their former colonies to march in Paris and say, we think we are not ready. We need a little bit more time. Okay, so how French. did he manage to come to power then if he had had this reactionary the, position? The thing is, this thing you must you should recognize is that in most of former Francophone Africa, as opposed to former Anglophone Africa where you had at independence, the movement became in charge. In former Francophone Africa, the movement was wiped out. Mm -hmm. So he or the, the former guy who was president before him was the colonial governor. Mm. He was the assistant colonial governor behind the white guy. Mm. The white guy changed and gave him mm -hmm. presidency. Pobia marched in France against independence. The French are like, this looks like a good boy. They sent him back to Cameroon. And in he came 1980? In, no, he came in 1975 and he was made prime minister. He mm -hmm. just came mm -hmm. and he was uh, cabinet minister. Quickly, quickly, he was made prime minister. Mm. And then in 1982, that president, the president that was there before, Amadou Aijo, started thinking of himself like, I've been long around to be able to disobey the French. He started making some ah, moves mm -hmm. and the French were like, oh, this guy. <laughs> they took him out and they replaced, and replaced him, him with, with Paul Bia. With Paul Bia. All and right, then, so when you say the French replaced him, I mean, this was all kind of machinations behind the scenes? Yes, kind of so this is what they did to him. They invited him to France. They invited him to France because that's the same, if you follow this, it's kind of a script, right? The president of Niger says, we need to figure out Niger needs to be on the table when you discuss uranium from Niger. The French are like, you need to come to Paris. The day he entered his plane to go to Paris, there was a coup back home and he was no more president. Mm -hmm. 
Aijo um, uh, started saying, you know, Cameroon needs to diversify its economy. Oh, so what what did the uh, uranium exploitation in Niger have to do with uh, with Cameroon? It's a script. French. That's the French script. Mm-hmm. It's the same script. So Bartolomeu Buganda and Central African Republic say we need independence. He's shot dead. Yeah. The president of Togo says, um, uh, we would be with you, but we just need to get our own currency. He too is shot dead. Right. Or is, there, is there uranium exploitation going on in Cameroon? In Cameroon, there's uranium, uranium yeah. exploitation. It's yeah. not it's not as big as in Niger. Right, right, right. right but right. there is uranium exploitation. Mm-hmm. Oil, everything. All the oil. All right. So the, the old president was called to Paris to uh, ostensibly to talk about dividing up the uranium. He was he was called to Paris to talk about oil. Oil. And mm-hmm. when he got there, um, the the French doctor, quote unquote, that was working for the government, told him that he was sick. <laughs> that I I need you to sit here. You need to rest a bit. Just give the guy your post for a few months, and then when you're done, you can go back and take it. And he was a former colonial. He's no smart guy, right? So he was like, yeah, I'm president. I'm going to go back. So once he, the other guy took power, they were like, yeah, we think you're fine. <laughs> and so he flew back like, I think I need to be president back. They told the other guy, tell him to get to hell. <laughs> That's how he died. He ended up dying in Senegal in exile. Mm, the former president. The former president. Yeah, died right. in that, that's when Paul Bia came to power, 1982. 1982. Mm-hmm. He came to power in 1982. All right, so there had never been a period during this whole, uh, from in, from independence on, there had never actually been any kind of legitimate democratic. In Cameroon, no. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. In Cameroon, the UPC, the Union for Cameroon's People, which was the pro-independence movement, mm-hmm. all of his leaders, so Felix Momier was killed in Belgium. He was the leader, the, the, the brain behind it. You have to remember, Cameroon has a problem Killed in Belgium. Yeah, he was poisoned so, with... with uh, another with, extrajudicial with Yes. Assassination. And then Um Yobe was the leader back home. He was also killed. They killed him in the bush because they declared him a terrorist mm-hmm. against the legitimate government of Cameroon and they killed him. The French mm-hmm. troops... There's, there's uh, um, uh, the whole book where you have French soldiers testifying about the killings in Cameroon, like how it happened and the napalming of villages mm-hmm. and schools and agricultural. Or this was in what period? That is 1950. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When it right. intensified. The struggle. Yeah. Yes, right, up right. to, in fact, the Cameroon independence struggle continued up to the last um, Um Yobe Robin was killed in 1972. All right, so I'm sorry. Uh, so the, the, this conflict continued through the 70s? Yes, it's just a low intensity, like uh, Angola type conflict where you had. Some of the former leaders of the communist movement there were just running around in the bush trying to just stay alive, and the French were hunting them all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, and this is in Amazonia or no, in no, the former French? In French Cameroon, yes, in French Cameroon. So, in Amazonia, the uh, Southern Cameroon National Council is formed, and they are like, so Now we're back to 1990. Back, back to 1990. 1990. The force of argument, not the argument of force. Right. That's the slogan. They continued... So a non-violent movement. Non-violent yeah. movement. Mm-hmm. That is its principle. And everybody, I mean, I, nobody, it didn't occur to any of us, I mean, like student leaders, that somehow there was any logic to using force to defend right, And you were there at the time. I was there. I was a kid in 1982 when he became president. But by the time I got to, when the, um, um, when the, the Berlin Wall collapsed, I was young. I couldn't follow, but by the time the movement started crystallizing in 1990 i was in high school there mm-hmm. right what they call college there and so we kind of were like wait a second this is happening you it's true there was no no cell phones but on the radio you would listen to africa number one and you hear that there's protests in togo in gabon in chad in central african republic mumbutu is crying on radio because the people are rising against him and it was like in what was then zaire yes yeah, why are we today. waiting 
Democratic you know, Republic of Congo. Yeah. So once um, uh, this is the 90s, the Southern Cameroon National Council is formed, their slogan is set up and their politics continue. The movement stayed like that. It stayed on this nonviolent pace. And the idea was that we're going to lobby the world and eventually we'll have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. That stayed until... Um, the problem that the Cameroon government had was the issues of the courts, especially. The teachers were constantly fighting. Every year you had, um, uh, the government would try to change one new law, teachers would oppose, students would oppose, and there would be a couple of students killed. That's how, you know, some some of the people who were in exile would sneak back into the country to help the students organize. The students would need help with technology because the internet had come, but people had, on the ground didn't know. People would go down there. And then, um, um, in, um, uh, <coughs> in, uh, one of the things that the government hated was the legal system, right? Every time they would seize land from this community, the people would take them to court and to court and to court and to All right, court. So who was seizing land, exactly? The government would try to seize the plantations. The French, the Cameroon neo-colonial yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. For example, when the oil um, uh, was discovered, they built um, uh, the oil in Ambazonia. That's where the oil was discovered, mm-hmm. which accounts for more than 60% of the, of the external um, uh, um, money that the country gets from foreign... Um, or so when did the oil exploitation begin? What decade? Oil exploitation began in 1980. Uh-huh. But they built a pipe over to French mm-hmm. Cameroon to carry the oil to French right, Cameroon. So there was a lot of land grabs from local farmers. There was farmers. a lot of ra- land yeah. grabs. For and oil development. For oil development, yeah. but not only that, the, the government also wanted to seize the plantations, mm-hmm. right? Because the plantations remain a big economic thing. The government wanted to seize the plantations. Growing what? What were they growing? The plantations were growing um, a lot of cash crops, you know. Um, um, Coffee, Coffee, um, uh, the chocolate industry just yeah, yeah, freaked yeah. out. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Cocoa, bananas also, a lot of bananas. Mm-hmm. All right, and the, the government was taking this land and giving it to their cronies kind of the, thing? The government was taking the land and giving it to their cronies. The problem was that those communities, they gave the land, they got they, when the, the Germans seized the land to them, the Germans said, we're making a plantation, but you still own the land. Mm-hmm. So when the government was like, no, no, right, we're taking it back. This is going back a century now. Yeah, yeah. the mm-hmm. government said, like, we're taking it back. The people are like, well, you can take your plantation. The land is still communal land. We don't know how right. to mm-hmm. grab land. So the communities were constantly fighting. And mm-hmm. the court was the theater of the fight. And so the government... Is, in Ambazonia. In Ambazonia. Yeah. So the government decided, we need to get rid of this Anglo-Saxon legal system, this... Um, uh, civil liberty-based legal system so that we just don't have to deal with this craziness. Mm-hmm. And that decision was made in 2015. That late? About the legal system. Uh-huh. The education system in Ambazonia is still is still Ambazonian, anglo the uh, uh, teachers' union. It's totally under assault, but it's okay, still Okay, so the, uh, very early on, uh-huh. the, the parliament was dissolved. Back the in, parliament was dissolved. Back in 1960s, but, yes. but, they, but they kept... Uh, their their own judiciary. Yes, uh-huh. and, and the, in, until just three years ago. Even even three years ago, that fight they didn't completely win it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what they did was. The, but I think it's it has to be stated that it's not just that they kept these institutions, but that the people fought and defended them. Well, this is yeah. this is where actually the the focus was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the focus was not in armed resistance. Focus was even not so much only a little bit in electoral politics, but it was focused on defending these civil institutions that 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 had a great deal of control over people's day to day lives. Um, yes, yeah. that's correct. All right, so the courts in Amazonia remained still, in the English language, following English common law. The opportunity yeah. is still. Mm-hmm. It's been attacked. Right, so, but you say still. that changed in 2015. So no, no, 2015 they tried to. They tried to. They mm-hmm. tried to finally. The government said we have made a new law. That all of that your Anglo-Saxon thing, we're done with it, <laughs> and that's when the lawyers 
were like and they and to have the trials conducted to, in French and, and to have the trials conducted in French. Mm-hmm. And that was when the lawyers and every because then it became clear to everybody that okay, they are not beating around the bush. This is the last straw. This mm-hmm. is the last ground. Mm-hmm. So people came out in the communities to defend the lawyers' protest. Mm-hmm. And of course, once the lawyers protested it in that uh, 2015 and 2015, 2016, the teachers who have been constantly under attack for the last ter- the last basically 40 years, they were the most organized. So their students were like, the lawyers are out in the streets. We need to get in solidarity with the lawyers. The teachers were out. The students were out. General strike. Indeed. Yes. In 2015. Yes. They call it ghost town. 2016. 2016. 2016. Uh-huh. They call it ghost town, right? Ghost town because all the businesses were shut down. Yes. And, yeah. General strike. For, ha- for how long did that last? It is still going on now. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but that was... The- or it's a bit succeeded in uh, defeating the government's initiative to uh, change the court system. Yes. Uh-huh. But the problem with that was that the government then escalated the amount of killings mm-hmm. and now there was internet. Mm-hmm. There was internet mm-hmm. and right. cell phones. That's trouble, yeah. Yes. And so... <laughs> Um, uh, they, there was a general protest called on the 22nd of September in solidarity with the, with the lawyers the, because the government arrested all the leadership of the lawyers and declared them terrorists. Mm-hmm. So there was a solidarity protest that was called. Or on, declared them terrorists. And yes. yet this was still unarmed protest. It was it still was, a nonviolent movement. It was nonviolent in Cameroon. It didn't matter whether you were violent or nonviolent. They were declared terrorists. And I mean, then, was there any, you know, street fighting or anything like that no to, to justify the one, even the, the remotely one, some kind of there's a accusation of terrorism? There's the AU report on it that you need to read. It's amazing. African Union, yeah. African Union Human Rights Commissioner report on mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. He just, she, sorry, she just described it the way it was. Mm-hmm. That this is a mass killing of unarmed protesters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. So when that happened... When that also uh, so troops opened fire on protesters with helicopter gunships serially with helicopter with gunships. helicopters oh so people goodness. are protesting with leaves on Jesus. on so so the first the protest on 22nd September was crushed and people were like okay October 2016 uh, 2016 yes yeah so October one is the original independent days of Ambazonia. So people were like, okay, October 1 is going to be the day we're going to hit the road and mass with right, So that was, that was the day uh, that independence was achieved in 1960? That, 1961, Ambazonia. 61. Ambazonia, not Cameroon. Cameroon got independence on January 1st, 1960. Mm-hmm. But Ambazonia's official independence date for the UN and everything right. was... October 1, 1961. But it didn't last very long. Well, it didn't last very long because right away the troops and everything process, the whole process of confederation didn't work. Right. So, f- so fairly immediately it was yes. absorbed into, into, into Cameroon. Into, into Cameroon. Right. Mm. And, and, and so... But so still... Go ahead. The day is still significant. Right. The day is still significant for right. them. Right. So October, first October, the government said no, no action. People came out in masses. The government brought helicopter gunships. You had... Soldiers shooting from helicopters on peaceful protesters. Oh my God! And even with the internet, this still got practically no coverage. That is. I correct. mean, I follow world events pretty closely, and I particularly try to follow, you know, um, small conflicts and wars in places that aren't getting a lot of coverage. And I was not aware of this. Yes, that that I think that was the that was the the tipping point for our community. After that happened, that was the first time words like. I think I remember the word was... Somebody. How many people were killed? On that day, more than 200 people were killed. How um, many? I'm sorry? More than 200. More Am- than 200? Amnesty reported 60. <sighs> Amnesty International reported mm-hmm. 60 people killed, but more than 200 people were killed. That is Red Hack. That's a, a, a 
French Cameroon Human Rights Organization, their record is that more than 200 were killed. They well, could, so what's the name of the organization? It's called the Center for Human Rights Defenders. It's in French. It's a French Cameroon. So what's the acronym in French? Red Hack. Red Hack. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, they reported 200. Amnesty reported 60. Mm-hmm. But more than 200 people were killed that day. And that was when the conversation started, we cannot let this happen again. Mm-hmm. And some communities decided, we've had it. We've had it. We're going to defend our community with force. That was the beginning of what has become today called, you know, the armed struggle in Amazonia. Mm-hmm. The government decided to escalate to unbelievable scale, right? So you have a situation where that started in 2017, October, during the killings, after that mass shooting. In November, some communities dis- declared that they're going to defend their communities with by force. And in... Um, uh, when uh, a, a couple of troops tried to break into a certain community, they were rebuffed and a soldier died. That was November, I think November 20th. The president went on TV and declared war on Amazonians. This is in 2017. 2017. Mm-hmm. The president declares war on Amazonians and the... Okay, now when you say he declared war, uh, he, what, what, what exactly does that mean? What did he, he said, actually say? He went on TV. Now, I don't imagine he used those words. He said, he said, we are... Uh, he said, I am today declaring war on the cessation, on the Separate terrorist yeah. who want cessation. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. how he described mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I'm declaring war on the terrorists who want cessation. Mm-hmm. And the community was like, you declare war? You know, and so then the military just totally came off the hinge, like the gloves came out. We had this situation where Yes, because people were just being killed. It didn't. There was no logic to it. It's hard to even even people. We have some people in the community who you know, you couldn't make logic of it. It's and and that's when. So after that happened, you started to have people f- um, fleeing, um, and um, so that's when the displacement crisis began. Mm-hmm. And you have people who ran across the border to Nigeria, um, and it was then in early. Um, 2018 mm-hmm. um, in where there was a one of the first sort of like um, situations that broke through the international radar mm-hmm. because Nigeria returned um, 47 um, asylum seekers forcibly to Cameroon um, because Cameroon you know said that they were um, you know that, that Cameroon believed that they were terrorists mm-hmm. but um you know, there was, it, it's a violation of um, the international legal principle of non refoulement because, you know, the people were running because they were in for fear of political persecution right. and under fear of death. Um, and so. The um, non refoulement, that's a French word, which basically means no forcible repatriation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and um, Amnesty Nigeria. Um, addressed the situation at the time and, and, and also so did a lot of other parties. And just right? the International's like, Nigeria chapter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the UN Human Rights Council condemned the violation of the fundamental rights of the people. Mm-hmm. Even the U.S. State Department. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the people mm-hmm. that were returned, 10 of them were um, like leaders in the movement um, and, and they had actually been meeting at the time to prepare for um, 
a meeting with the United UN, Nations Committee on Re Refugee Refugee Council to, on to, to support UNHCR UNHCR right, to yeah. try to try to create a solution to the the ballooning refugee crisis for which there was almost no infrastructure on the ground. All right, so what happened to these people who were repatriated? They were they were um, meeting at the Nara Hotel in Nigeria, and they were um, arrested by s secret police um, from the, the hotel, and they were held for several weeks incommunicado in Nigeria, mm -hmm. and then they were forcibly returned to Cameroon. And what happened to them after that? They've been in yeah, prison yeah, yeah. ever oh, since yeah. then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're, they become known as the Nara 10. Mm -hmm. um, and Nara uh, is a reference to? The hotel, hotel where, where they ah, were meeting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, in Lagos? In Abuja. Uh, Abuja. In Abuja. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was all in early 2018. And, and the, one of the people arrested in that situation was um, Julius Ayuk Tabe, who was at that time the um, president of the interim government that had been set up um, several um, mm, months nice. earlier, mm -hmm. um, which we we kind of <laughs> didn't mention that. Mm -hmm. That was in t 2017, October. There was an actual declaration of formal independence. independence oh, yes. And a creation of a interim yeah. government. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, is that the um, Southern Cameroon's Amazonia Consortium United Front? That was before then. The Consortium Front was during the days of the lawyer's struggle. Uh -huh. And then the Consortium Front then eventually morphed into uh, an interim government mm -hmm. as the government escalated and refused to do All right. So the interim government now is based where? Where does it meet? Well, so the entire leadership is in jail right now, mm -hmm. and they were mm -hmm. uh, the second group of people who they are, they are kind of spread around. There are some of them in the states too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. All right, and how many people have been displaced at this point? Good. So in nineteen, in sorry, what did I say? In nineteen, in June last year, mm -hmm. everybody June was June two thousand eighteen. Yeah. We we're all shocked to hear that there were one hundred sixty thousand minimum that is un records right mm -hmm. so where every time UN they give they get conservative displaced. numbers mm -hmm. displaced. Displaced, displaced internally displaced for the internally most part. displaced yeah. from the conflict and uh, there were about fifteen thousand refugees in nigeria that's in <sighs> june well between june and december the number of displaced the un just reported that the number of displaced according to the un the refugee the norwegian refugee council with the un agreed the numbers are correct is four hundred and thirty seven thousand minimum so within five months, we had almost a tripling of the number of people being displaced. If you divide that by the time duration and everything, it is the UN um, uh, OSHA, the head of OSHA said at the UN Security Council reporting, she said this is one of the fastest growing conflict, uh, human displacement conflicts in Africa. If you do the numbers, it is the fastest human displacement conflict in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and that... Is fastest growing. Fastest growing. Yeah. Fastest growing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Human displacement conflict in the world. And so you have a situation where right now the scale of the violence, right? Soldiers are just, they just bomb into a market and just open fire indiscriminately. Okay, but now this is happening in response to what? I mean, is, no, there, no. is, there, is there actually armed resistance going on? There in, is an armed resistance yeah. going on. But the way the soldiers have decided to respond is not to try to investigate and find out who yes, are the people yes, participating. Yes, yeah. Terrorizing a civilian population. Yeah. Um, uh, punishment. punishment. Right, right, and, right, right. And mass yeah, murder. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So yes. you have a situation, it got so bad that, you know, even the United States ambassador, like, just said the government is guilty of 
uh, from uh, burning villages. Okay, that was when? That was in May 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at that time? And, and, and that was very significant because um, that was definitely before um, a lot of, you know, you, you know the, in the past six months, you've seen an increase in attention to this. But that was before, you know, there, there was, uh, and it was just as the government was starting to ramp up its um, um, sort of evisceration of entire villages, um, burning of entire villages and clearing out the populations, um, at, which is which is the main thing that has been driving the displacement mm-hmm. um, or that sort of behavior. Um, and and at the just as that was starting the um, the. What was his name? Peter Peter Berlin, the U.S. ambassador to to Cameroon, made, it was, made this public statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, so that was last year, twenty eighteen. Yeah, yeah. The last count. And was he just out of curiosity? Was he an Obama holdover, or was? Um, I think he was. I'm not sure. Yeah. But there's another thing you have to. A funny thing happened um, that at at some point in the State Department, as far as I heard, I'm not sure that certain diplomats like just decided to do their thing <laughs> when. It looked like there was a lot of chaos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certain diplomats just decided to do their thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not Cameroon is not a peculiar in right. that sense. There were a couple of other places where American diplomats just stood out. They right. did their things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you have a situation where the last count of villages burned was in August, right? There were 120 villages reported by the organization. What is it called? The Center for Democracy in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, they reported 120 villages in August. Per counts on the ground now, I think. Uh, uh, who's who's this guy? The former president of Ghana uh, mentioned yesterday, I think two days ago, at the African Union, that per information that he got from some other organization, I've forgotten the name, there are something like almost 300 villages that have been burnt, right? The number of villages burnt is not slowing down, it's just increasing in terms of the pace. And then we have the situation where the in the past, the government soldiers would do horrible things in villages, and the idea was that, okay, because they think there's no witness to bear record, now they have gotten into the cities. Like, um, uh, three days ago, the major hospital in the cool. in, in Kumba, which is the second largest Amazonian city, is a city of more than 500,000 people. Hmm. The soldiers burned the hospital. Soldiers burned that hospital, and BBC called opposition political um, uh, leaders and said, what is going on? And they said, no, the government soldiers burned them. In fact, there's video online in social media that shows, you know, and BBC. Right. Well, of course, the them. government is saying that it was opposition. Except that there's video. The, the, the yeah. government is blaming the Ambazonians, but the opposition yeah. politicians that we're talking about is Cameroon opposition politicians, yeah. not yeah. Ambazonian opposition politicians. So the, the, the BBC interview was not with Ambazonians. It was with Cameroon opposition politicians. Yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. they said to BBC that, you know, it was, it was the government troops. that burnt yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And there's video mm. of soldiers standing there, mm. bur- um, uh, burning the place down and telling the fire department not to dare come close. There was a fire, there's a fire department three blocks away from the hospital. Mm. The hospital was burnt. So how many people lost their lives? Uh, f- we know officially six people. We also know that um, uh, they were all nurses who were working at night who are supposed to have been witness of the beginning of the assault were taken by the government soldiers. Nobody knows where they were taken to. There was also a guard and a receptionist who was at work at the night when the burning started. Day two, nobody knows their whereabouts right now that the soldiers took them along after um, uh, after they put the place on fire. And so we know that um, uh, six people died in the flame. That has been confirmed, but nobody knows uh, that it's going to take a little bit of time before the f- exact number of people who died in the flame is as certain. But we know for sure that six 
patients died in the flame. And of course, um, and the BBC, when the BBC uh, did their report, they they mentioned three people. I know that I think the New not New York Times. Uh, there's another paper, um, uh, the Guardian mentioned. I think six people. Mm-hmm. The Guardian report on on the flames. Mm-hmm. But but a lot of people have heard it. Uh, have heard this situation narrated it according to the government's um, um, kind of messaging, um, which is you know basically the government just. <laughs> blames Amazonian fighters for like everything um, and 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 it's this is this sort of complete disjuncture of realities that that is is an everyday thing where like like on a daily daily basis there are these sorts of crimes being reported um, by uh, within grassroots um, social media sphere um, being checked by grassroots human rights organizations on the ground that we that we trust, um, and um, and then the government is purveying use you know with, with you know the, those people are using a bullhorn right yeah. and the government is got like a you know um, a satellite in space <laughs> like just metaphorically right, right the metaphorically. equivalent right yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and is working with you know. Um, a half dozen PR firms, right, 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 like right, right, with right. global influence, and is and is saying, you know, the resistance fighters did this. Um, at, well, they're not saying even resistance fighters; the, they're the, saying that 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 it's protesters the, or the, yeah. So they but they they've been some some good some good, yeah. co- some good right, coverage, right? right, right. So like uh, the Washington Post did an article two weeks ago, in which they interviewed people. Every one of the people they interviewed said the government is burning our villages. Mm-hmm. People running, people testifying. Or right, so, where are the displaced going? There are two places they are going. The ones that can make it to Nigeria are going to Nigeria. Most people are running away from villages and staying in the forest. Right. Unfortunately, if you run into a village and stay in the forest, if soldiers meet you in the forest, then you're just dead. And the soldiers are not like staying on in the village. They are going through in the forest looking for right, people. Right, right, right. Some right, people, right. a bigger chunk of the people have escaped to French Cameroon because um, uh, in the cities in French Cameroon, there have been mass arrests in the capital, but there have not been any killings right, of Amazonians right, 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 happening. Right, 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 right. So a big chunk of people are mm-hmm, running mm-hmm, over mm-hmm, there and mm-hmm, in Nigeria. So those mm-hmm. are the two places where people are displaced going. And there are a lot of people in the bush still. A lot of people are staying in the bushes because... They are afraid to go to the city because they are afraid that between the city and and cam and safety, there's just no people are worried that they're going to get caught up, you know, trying to come. And the soldiers, it's not like they check anything in terms of the way they respond. But going back to what I was saying about like this disjuncture of narratives, I mean, this is the 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 crisis that we have right now um, is that um, we like the grassroots. Is saying what is going on, and a di- and a different reality is being pervaded, um, you know, in the the halls of power. And so this is a, a big. I don't know if it's okay now to go into the campaign work that sure, we're doing, absolutely, because mm-hmm. this is the reason yeah. that we have um, pulled together this coalition um, to issue um, a, a, a letter to the UN Human Rights Council. Um, which is about to meet here in New York. Which is about to meet. Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. it meets in Geneva. Oh, okay. Um, call, um, starting in about a week and a half, mm-hmm. um, February 25th, it convenes the 40th session of the UN Human Rights um, Council. And um, a group of 15 um, organizations ha- um, sent a letter on February 7th to the UN Human Rights Council asking them to 
act during that 40th session by mandating a fact-finding mission mm -hmm. to Amazonia. Mm -hmm. because And the reason this is necessary is because the... Um, the Cameroon government, the, the the high commission for high commissioner for human rights has twice requested access to investigate the the crimes that are being reported to, to that office, mm -hmm. and the govern the Cameroon government has said no. <laughs> okay, twice. sorry. So what? what how would a um, a, a fact finding mission be different from what's already been requested? Well, yeah. they, so they are two. The way that the UN system for crisis works is that. Between between council meetings, if there's a crisis, the commissioner can ask for access. Most of the time, countries tend to refuse without too much consequences. But when a fact-finding commission is mandated, if you refuse them access and they base their report on information that they get from different sources, mm -hmm. the report is standing. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you cannot... So right now, the Cameroon government can debate with, you know... I mean, the Guardian wrote a, a paper, you know, uh, this is a genocide. Um, uh, the BBC did a documentary of about 40 villages that were being burned in which they showed that there were soldiers burning the villages. The BBC did that. Um, uh, the New York Times has been kind of wobbly, but, you know, um, uh, the Washington Post have done quite a couple of writings. I mean, they don't, um, uh, they keep running around the language issue, but the facts of the crimes have been pretty nice, uh, properly reported there, you know. So in that context, in, in that situation, uh, a fact-finding mission, mandated fact-finding mission, think of it like the next level of accountability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once it happens, like we have from experience, whenever it happened, the violence went down because the people doing the violence immediately mm -hmm. knew there's going to be accountability. Mm -hmm. Right? So in Myanmar, when the UN said, listen, the commissioner wanted to go there, the Myanmar government said, no, you can't come here. Then there was a fact-finding mission mandated. And they were like, no, we're not going to give them visas. And the fact-finding mission is like, no problem, we're going to do our report without. And they were like, no, 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 come. Nah. And this will get an excuse to, mm -hmm. to, to question some of your data. So that is like the next level of, you know, um, the possible way the international community. And the fact-finding um, uh, mission would have the possibility to establish, because right now we have human rights um, uh, um, uh, organizations reporting information that the government is debating mm -hmm. the accuracy of the... Well, of, not even of, debating. Or, or not debating. <laughs> Yeah, and right, ignoring. ignoring, right? <laughs> but when a fact-finding mission, a UN fact-finding mission gets to get in there or gets to... Because, for example, villages being burned, you really don't need to be on the ground to know that villages have been burned. You just use satellite images, you'll be able to locate a lot of them, especially since you have data of the list of villages that were burned and where they are located. So they, they, the common government understands that kind of a thing. So a fact-finding mission, we hope, would be the beginning of the break of the violence to put a stop to the violence, just like it happened in Myanmar, in Sri Lanka, when the fact-finding mission was was um, mandated, the violence went down. In Burundi, when the fact the UN mandated the fact-finding mission, the violence went down. In Myanmar as well. So the history is that every time the UN mandated a fact-finding mission, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. violence on the ground went down, which mm -hmm. is a priority for mm -hmm. the coalition. Of course, right of now. course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what can people do to try to bring pressure to bear yes, on so the Human Rights Council? Yes, so um, there are uh, about three different ways people um, can support that process. Um, uh, it's true that the United States is not inside the, you know, the, the United States quit the Human Rights Council. Yeah. But the fact, but the fact remains that um, the Cameroon government is heavily reliant on multilateral funding 
which is mostly dominated by the United States. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, the U.S. Congress, if people were able to call their Congress people and say, listen, we are con Congress, the U.S. government just caught military aid to Cameroon uh, three weeks ago. Oh, they, yes. They reduced it. They didn't cut it completely. Mm -hmm. just reduced mm -hmm. it. If people are able to push for the, gov the U.S. government to take a stand, a firm stand, say, listen, no more U.S. funding for a government that is known to violate human rights, which the United States government said, we are cutting, we're reducing your aid because you are known for violating human rights. It's like, okay, why are you just, just reducing it? You might as well just cut it according to U.S. law, right? So in that respect, in terms of the United States, I think people getting their elected officials to know that they are concerned about the crisis and that they want the international community to take a firm stand that, that even without the United States being within the uh, Human Rights Council, Within the United States, just taking a stand would be a game changer in that respect. Even for the members of the of the council that are trying to do the right thing, that would be empowering. For right, them. right, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's one. Yes, and of course, um, uh, that that's the Human Rights Council is the one. The other one is that we're calling for um, uh, Senate uh, to invoke the Global Minsky Act. Um, uh, which says very clearly. I'm sorry. Which act? It's called the Global Magnitsky Act, mm -hmm. which was, which the Senate passed. It. The rule for it is that the majority leader, the Foreign Relations Committee chair, and the majority leader, both of them need to just write a letter to the president saying we want you to evoke it, and it's automatic. That's why uh, that was the thing used for Saudi Arabia last time because of the killing of. Um, uh, Koshogi. Mm -hmm. So the if the if the Senate is able to invoke the Magnitsky Act, that would mean that the Cameroon government would automatically immediately be cut access to a lot of US military support mm -hmm. on the spot. Mm -hmm. Which sorry. Yeah, yeah. And so that that is like a primary focus because it is on the spot, it is exact. The consequences of the Global Magnitsky Act are very detailedly defined. It's not just like, you know, for example, the um, Foreign Relations Assistance Act of the United States says the U.S. cannot support a government that is known to commit human rights violation. But it doesn't say how, it doesn't say where, it doesn't say when. But the Global Magnitsky Act has very, very detailed, specific things that must follow. It says the Congress writes to the president. After, I think, 60 days, the president issues Congress a report, a detailed report, arguing why the government has to still support such a regime. If the Congress, if the government does not issue that, that's automatic that all funding gets cut. Cameroon is about to get one um, 40, for this year, I think it's 48 million US dollars is projected as money that they would get, like bilateral aid immediately. That is excluding the money that they get through the World Bank, which the US is the highest donor, the IMF, which the US is the highest donor. So, but um, uh, we know that when the United States took the same stance against South Africa, it was the beginning of the end for the apartheid regime. Mm -hmm. So. But so those are two things that um, you know are relevant to people in the United States, in in particular. Um, but um, people you know all over the world can help um, you know with the um, the campaign we were discussing about the UN Human Rights Council. Um, I, I think the best way to to suggest that people try to help with that campaign is just to. Um, be aware of it and spread information about it. And we're working on putting up a website. Um, we haven't gotten it up quite yet, but it's, it should be up within the next few days. It's um, globalinitiative3c.org. Global 
Um, what, why three C? Oh, three, three, three camera runs. Yeah, that's a, it's just that is the global, global initiative, initiative to end the Cameroon's colonial, colonial oh, conflict. Right, right, yeah. those three Cs. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but that's just where we're going to put information. Global um, initiative three C dot org. 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 Yeah, and that should and be up imminently. Yes. Yeah, and within the next few days, it should be Great. up. Um, knock on wood. <laughs> you know, where this is a ragtag effort here, but. Um, there, there's um, there also I think um, you you can search on um, that you can watch all three of the press conferences that we did um, last uh, on February seventh on the day that we um, right. that we delivered the letter to the UN Human Rights Council. Um, I think the best the easiest way probably for your listeners to um, access the, the the archives of those press conferences is to go to the Facebook page of the Southern Cameroon Broadcasting Corporation, mm -hmm. which is a, a, it's a, a, a grassroots movement media organ that was uh -huh. formed, uh -huh. um, you know, by the diaspora communities, um, you know, at, 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 mm. right, following as a, as a um, response to the government cutting internet and access. When, when did they do that? When did that they cut internet access? That was in 2017. And they've never restored it? Well, they, since then, they've never restored it fully, right? They, it's the, the it's constantly coming and going. Since then, internet okay, and we're talking about just for um, Amazonia, not yes. for all of Cameroon. No, not for yeah, all yeah, of Cameroon. Yeah, 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 internet yeah, yeah, was yeah, caught yeah, yeah. um, uh, for one. It's the longest internet blackout in record right mm -hmm, now mm -hmm, for that particular mm -hmm. one. It was caught sustainably for I think um, uh, four months, four months or five months. Or so. But if you um, if you search on the face for the Facebook page for the Southern Cameroons Broadcasting Corporation, yes. you should be able to access. There was a press conference in Geneva. There was a press conference in Johannesburg, and there was a press conference here in New York City. Uh -huh. um, there's also um, a, a, a media activist, Joe Friendly, mm -hmm. um, um, in the United States, um, who he recorded um, the press conference here in um, in New York and put it up on his YouTube channel. So that's another way to watch the um, the one in New York. Where where did the press conference take place? Um, it was at the Church of the Covenant, which is about a block away from yeah, yeah. the 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 UN. Right. Um, and um, we were very grateful for you know the, their hospitality mm -hmm. of our effort. Um, and one of the signatories to the letter, um, that's a Presbyterian church, the Presbyterian Church of the Covenant, and, and the, the stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church USA did sign on to this letter, um, as well as a number of other organizations, the, Fellowship, the International Fellowship of Reconciliation, um, a, a group called the Dennis Hurley Peace Initiative, which is based in South Africa, um, Pax Christi, um, the Baptist Peace Fellowship, um, the Muslim Civisicum. Peace Fellowship. Civisicum. is a is a global network. Civisicum uh, is a global network for um, uh, grassroots organizers. I think they are based out of South Africa and in Holland. Mm -hmm. They too signed. And uh, what was the other group again that signed? Um, and the I think the South African Communist Party just signed yesterday. Yep. And, and, and actually a bunch of others that we're blanking on right now. Um, and all that information will be up on the, the website that we mentioned br briefly. And, and it would really help us. I mean, as you mentioned at the beginning of this um, talk, you know, um, this is a um, very sort of a, a situation, a, that a struggle that a lot of people don't know about. And so even just, like, getting the word out and, and, and getting the word out from the, like, really um, taking seriously the perspective and, and the opinions of the, of, uh, of the people like on the ground, the impacted communities, that, that 
is really like I think you know what is needed here, especially from the you know within the the progressive and leftist communities in the United States. Um, we also um, would be grateful for more organizational signatories to the letter to the UN um, and. Um, the, if, if, if groups were interested in, um, you know, signing on, um, you know, obviously um, that might be something that would be helpful to dialogue with us about, mm -hmm. and we would be glad to, you know, talk with groups that might be interested in considering that. You can email us at info at globalinitiative3c.org, and that email is working even though the website mm -hmm. itself is still mm -hmm. um, under construction. Right. <laughs> But to be launched imminently, to be launched in the coming days. Yes. Right. yes. So a couple of other things I want to touch on before we, uh, <clears throat> before we wrap it up. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Cameroon is actually getting a lot of, or has been until recently, getting a lot of military aid from the United States. I yes. believe there have even been uh, U.S. military advisors on the ground yes. there. yes. Officially fighting Boko Haram in the yes. north of the country, That's correct. which is kind of an unrelated war yes. to what's happening in yes. Ambazonia. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. I think um, there are two things happening in that particular situation. So, Boko Haram is a Nigerian group. Yeah. Based in Nigeria, committing a lot of crimes in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, what seems to have happened is that sometimes they have crossed into Cameroon a couple of times and committed some awful crimes in Cameroon. But the majority of its crimes are committed in Nigeria. Mm. And so what seems to be happening is that uh, it's a paradox that most of the funding to fight Boko Haram is not going to Nigeria, it's going to Cameroon. And Chad. And Chad. And the only thing that binds Cameroon and Chad together, as opposed to Nigeria, is that these are two French neocolonial regimes mm -hmm. that have been on the spotlight in terms of their human rights violations right. and all kinds of things that have made them pariah of international donors and all kinds of things. Well, there's plenty of rights violations going on in Nigeria as well. That is correct. And I would imagine that they need the money less given that they've got a lot of oil where those, where those two countries are poorer. That is correct. Yeah. The, the, the thing, I, I was talking to somebody and he said to me, I just think it's just business for the people who trade on the military hardware because... The Nigerian military marched in Sierra Leone during the war in Sierra Leone and imposed a ceasefire. Boko Haram cannot, we cannot pretend that Boko Haram is as powerful as the Sierra Leonean army and all the fighting parties. Yeah, but a guerrilla insurgency is kind of a different situation. That is, that is true. Yeah. That is correct. This is another thing. The Nigerian army marched on Liberia and took down the guerrilla insertion in Sayyidi yeah. there. I don't think it's lack of trying, for, for lack of trying, that they've been unable to, to pacify northwestern Nigeria, northeastern Nigeria. I agree, and that's why I'm thinking that if the context, if the issue was stopping Boko Haram, then you would think that most of the advocates for aid and military support uh, for stopping that would be concerned with Nigeria as opposed to Cameroon, which is secondary. It's sad that, unfortunately, this is what has happened in northern Cameroon. Some of the most outrageous crimes of recent human knowledge happened in northern Cameroon by Cameroon troops pretending to be wanting to fight Boko Haram. Right, right. They, they, in, in October, was it in October, they shot this woman, two women, a toddler, uh, the, and a baby. The BBC now is saying that that was, so, that was a few years ago. Right? Uh, 2000, 2015. 2015. Mm -hmm. but, but the, 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 um, the video came sort out, of went came, viral yeah, in... Um, yeah in July of 2018. Of 2018. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, so so 
this is the situation where it has become like it's almost if you look at it it's almost like the Cameroon government has difficulties paying everybody else except the army right the Cameroon army when you look at it there is no um there is no the issue of Boko Haram has become like a red herring for Cameroon to justify all kinds of um things from financial aid and support and military support and all kinds of things that uh, two, three days ago, um, uh, what was that? Uh, there was a report of uh, helicopters that the Canadians supposedly gave them to fight Boko Haram that were being used to attack Ambazonian villages. Uh, yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't so, doubt it. So, so, so the, 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 the concern that people have is not that Boko Haram is not a serious thing. It's that it is being used like a red herring. It's a serious problem that needs to be discussed mm. in the area involving Nigeria as a center part of that conversation, not Cameroon. Or well, I would imagine that the, the, the abuses which the military is committing in the north of the country, I imagine there's an element of Islamophobia here and fearing that the, um, you know, the, the, the local populace may be supporting Boko Haram, however unrealistically. Uh, it, it, the, 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 the north is mostly Muslim and the south is mostly Catholic, I would imagine. That is correct. Yeah. The, the question then becomes if the community up in the north would support Boko Haram, they would be the ones hurting, right? Boko Haram has never attacked anybody in the south of Cameroon. Right, right, right. right. It's only yeah. the Nordists that yeah, 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 are, that yeah, are yeah, suffering yeah, 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 this yeah. impact. So right. it's a horrible thing that they are getting it from both sides. They're getting yeah, hurt right, by Boko Haram and they're also of getting course. hurt by the yeah, military. Yeah. Always how it so works. It's, it's a very unfortunate situation. <clears throat> it's a really, really, really sad situation. And that's why we're working with um, uh, Red Hack to highlight the human rights situations in northern Cameroon. Right. Red Hack is the internal the, uh, the Nigerian, Cameroon. The, the Cameroon human rights yeah. organization. Yeah, Red yeah, Hack. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why the video that you... Non-governmental. Non-governmental yeah, yeah. human rights organization. The video that uh, we're talking about, the the video that went viral, right. Ambazonian activists were at the forefront of exposing mm -hmm, that video to mm -hmm, the world. Mm -hmm, if you look mm -hmm. at the report that BBC did about it, BBC would be able would, would explain that was Ambazonian activists who were able to identify the soldiers, mm -hmm. to locate them, bring other pictures of them in different locations to show that they are Cameroon soldiers. Mm -hmm. You know, so so the situation is really bad in the north. It's really really bad. Not bad as in you know, um, uh, um, not the same level of violence as Ambazonia. Definitely yeah, not. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, this is not about comparing to violence. Of course, everybody wants the right. Of course, to be, of course, to, to of course. Be, properly managed. Yeah. The only concern that some people feel like is that it's been used like a, like the topic is being used like a red herring for all kinds of justification for military mm -hmm. support mm -hmm. and all kinds mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. excuses for, 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 for human rights violations, mm -hmm. for all kinds of things. Yeah. I mean, so um, that's the problem. The problem is that people want the process should be transparent. You know, Cameroon, the UN itself says Cameroon is one of the most dictatorial, ruthless regimes in the world, right? At the same time, you know, well, so, and I think that's the, the main thing that should be kind of focused on is why when we um, sort of, so it, it seems like the consensus or the, the uns, maybe not totally spoken consensus, even among a lot of liberals and, you know, progressives is that, you know, this is an important thing that we're doing to support these governments in their fight against Boko Haram. So we have to kind of like... Um, you know, n not sort of stir the pot around other issues yeah, yeah, that yeah, might yeah, be yeah. going on, right. like that might undermine the authority of those governments right. because we want them to like use our, you know, our arms and our money, right. you know, effectively. Well, this is really like 
scary thinking. Of course, of course. You know yeah. what I mean? And the proverbial blank check. Who, 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 and 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 the the fact that it seems to be mostly like a kind of like, un I I would say almost under the radar kind of narrative. It's not like people are directly saying this, you know, that I had just said. But I th- I think that's like what people are are thinking. So 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 within that context, it's it's definitely hopeful that the that the um US is at least saying in the last week um mm-hmm. that like it, it it is going not necessarily going to approve the, this military funding to Cameroon because of these human rights concerns. Are the State Department just saying this? Yeah the um, or Congress. The head of AFRICOM was in Congress mm-hmm. and he said that they're gonna not approve some of it. And the head of Africom, which is the U.S. Uh, military. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Sure, African U- military command for Africa. For Africa, yeah, yes. He he testified to Congress, Congress yeah. and he mm-hmm. said they were not going to mm-hmm. approve some of it, mm-hmm. not not all of it. Okay, should we talk about the um, uh, contested elections which just took place? Yes. Um, yeah. So uh, the leader of the opposition, by dater, that is Kamto. Maurice Camto. Maurice Camto. Yeah. Um, uh, by data on the ground, he won. Mm-hmm. There's no debate about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, Ape- there is a debate about it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the Cameroon <laughs> government the, 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 completely asserts an alternative reality. But, that's it. And I think. Um, but uh, but what you're saying is that the 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 movement had a like a debt a. De- uh, their own polling mechanism? Is that what you're they saying? Did. They did. They had um, uh, pulls reports from stations immediately after people casted their votes. Right. That's why it took the government, what, three weeks to figure out how to, how, how to machinate the numbers and change the numbers and change the numbers until they came up with the president winning. Right. This guy has been in power since 1982. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The last time something that even resembled uh, uh, an election, a transparent election that only resembled in 1992 after the Ambazonian uprising that forced the Social Democratic Party into power, into contesting the first elections. He lost even in his own military barracks in his own village. And this was when? That's 1992. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And the way he responded was to put the guy who won in house arrest. All right, and now uh, that's history that's, has repeated itself because it, it, Maurice yes. Compton has now been arrested. It's, it's the same, like the same script. Mm-hmm. And he's been charged with what's the the justification terrorism. for? He's been charged with terrorism. The the, the, the presidential candidate who probably mm-hmm. won yes. has now been arrested on charges of terrorism. Of terrorism, and mm-hmm. and and this the the paradox about it is that you know Maurice Camto has spent his whole life as a lawyer fighting nonviolent issues, right? Mm-hmm. And here he is being uh, dragged in front of a military court. Mm-hmm. On charges of terrorism. Okay, and, t- and in terms of his politics, I mean, I assume he wants some kind of a democratic opening in in Cameroon. But is he also a friend of Amazonia in any sense, or? Well, um, he, no, he's not from a social democrat. He's from the uh, movement for um, uh, a revival of Cameroon. I think that's how you translate MRC. He he does say that if he at the time he said if he won. They we're gonna sit on the table and discuss the issues, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He he doesn't like the conversation about you know, is there any treaties between us? You know, are we not supposed to countries? Because the the argument that most Ambazonians make is that we are we, we came together in a handshake. There was no treaty, and without be, without a treaty, we are in the kind of situation like Les Timor with Indonesia. Mm-hmm. 
because of the lack of a East Timor, East Timor and Indonesia, Indonesia yeah. where uh, you just take advantage that you have a military might to right. impose your will on us. Right. He did not quite agree with that conversation, but he said if he won, there was going to be an opportunity for us to sit around the table and have a conversation mm -hmm. about what is going on. Mm -hmm. And he has openly condemned the government for the scale of the violence. Well, good. He He's definitely a great um, person in terms of if he had won, there was a lot of hope. A lot of Ambazonians had hopes that at least the killings would stop. At least there would be a beginning of a conversation you know, um, that would open up possibilities for maybe resolving the conflict, even if it is several years down the road, but it would be the beginning of the end of the humiliation, of the abuse, of the dehumanization, of the exploitation, and of the theft, you know. So, but unfortunately, we are where we are with him. From the Bamileke tribe? Yeah, he's, he's also from, from the Bamileke tribe. That's why that guy attacked him. The minister attacked him and said, oh, these, they're arrogant people. Remember, I just explained, I don't want to be repeating his the, words. The Bamiliki tribe is the one that at the, a while back in the interview, Eben was talking about um, the French forces um, massacred and in, in, in genocidal proportions. In the independence struggle. Um, during the, the, the years yeah. right before, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Um, because they had a... Um, a base of communist-influenced organizing there that was um, deep in, and in French Cameroon, yes. right? Yeah, in in the western part of, um, of French, French Cameroon, Cameroon, right? That it borders on the the area that we call Amazonia, yes. mm -hmm. um, and so the the tribe there is called the uh, the Bamiliki, and mm -hmm. Comto is from that. Mm -hmm. so, so they sort of straddle the border between former French and Amazonia. Yes, yeah. and we Amazonians have a lot of uh, people of of uh, Bamiliki mm -hmm. both people who are originally Amazonian and also. People who mm -hmm. during the war of independence ran away mm -hmm. for safety in Ambazonia mm -hmm. because Ambazonia was not part of their independence war, and so it was a safe zone for uh, people who ran over. and And it is it is it is um, it is very very depressive to watch what is happening to them again, right? All right. So this is where this um, outrageous comment that was just made about exactly. uh, about Hitler and the Jews. Exactly. Now, who exactly said that? The Minister of Communication. Uh -huh. And the reason he said that is that this guy won elections, elections were taken from him, and how dare he protest peacefully on the street? How dare he call for a peaceful protest? He must be very arrogant to call for a peaceful protest for the theft of an election that he won. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. It's just mine. Or so it was the Minister of Communication who, of who made this comment in relation yeah. to Maurice Comteau. That is correct. Uh -huh, and said that he was acting like the arrogant Jews who provoked Hitler. Yes. <laughs> Provoked Hitler to kill them. Exactly, and say, and he didn't only end. They oh, said, and that's how God. they two are gonna get killed. Right? Well, that's and not really gonna, you know, <clears throat> play in the international community. One hopes. I mean, one, one would think that they're well, sort of overplaying I mean, their I mean, hand I mean, here. I think, I think at least in terms of the rhetoric. I think there's an argument to be made that that crossed a line, yeah. and and the, and that that may have some causal relationship to the U.S. decision to, or not. It's actually not a decision, but. At least, um, at least posturing yeah. that we're we're not necessarily going to, um, you know, fully fund right. this sort of behavior. I mean, you can kill as many people as you want as long as you do it in the, under the rubric of the war on terrorism and national security and so on. But once you start actually invoking Hitler and, and <laughs> explicitly it, it, talking it, about it, genocide, exactly. It is. It is. You know, when you listen to it, and that's one of the problems of that. Sorry movie. to laugh. No, no, it's very sad. 
Why not? That's one of the problems of that regime. This is the kind of regime, because of its corruption and and its posture, it ends up with people like that, right? Yeah, because yeah. nobody in his sane mind would accept to be part of that whole thing going on there, mm-hmm. right? And so it is, it is Maurice Camto, he is definitely, I mean, an inspiration for a lot of young uh, Cameroonians, yeah. you know? A lot of young people got involved, you know, politically very active. We For years, they have just been like, this is just a... A charade, why should we waste our time for it? Yeah. And then he came and he was a professor at the university, a renowned lawyer, and he articulated his visions and all this stuff. And people really, you know, um, took it seriously and really hoped to make a difference. And I think the Cameroon government was shocked at the sudden change from total lack of interest to mm-hmm. politics mm-hmm. to 100% large people showed up for elections. Mm-hmm. The government wasn't there. The government just expected everybody to be like, oh. And so when that happened, it kind of changed the game for them. Mm-hmm. And they had to respond the way they respond. I mean, he needs a lot of solidarity. He needs a lot of solidarity because um, there's a lot of conversation that they want to use him to teach a lesson to the community that nothing has changed. Because the argument is that it looks like this um, you know, other people are feeling like stuff has changed. It's time to make people understand nothing has changed. And so he needs a lot of all the solidarity he can get. I mean, um, there are some... Yes, yeah. there are some Ambazonian networks, um, uh, like the Ambazonian... And there's pres- 203 other people that were arrested. They were arrested along with him. Along with him. I mean, um, 203 other people were arrested. In him. protest around the disputed election. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, this is in addition to, we have yeah. about 5,000 Ambazonian prisoners right now. Mm-hmm. So, but even though we have 5,000 Ambazonia prisoners, there's still, the Ambazonia Prisoners of Conscience Support Network um, uh, is working on a statement in solidarity with Maurice Camto to support, to show our support for him. They, we have to understand some of the um, um, the people of MRC, Maurice Camto's party, um, were lawyers supporting some of our few people who had to be tried, who were tried in the military tribunals too. And I think he even at one point promised that if he were to win the election, that all the political prisoners would go home mm-hmm. and then we'll start from there. So um, it's true that our struggle is not exact replica, but we, we see ourselves like fighting the same French neo-colonial regime in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. It's true that the regime is oppressing them in Cameroon and it's true that it is massacring us in Ambazonia for right. daring to question the status quo but we don't see ourselves in any way, form, or shape like in different struggles. We, we are in, diff, in the same struggle, getting in the same direction, trying to resist this French neo-colonial regime that is not only present in Cameroon. It's also present in Togo, as you probably know about the uprising in Togo. It's the same thing in Central African Republic, as you probably know the chaos up there that has finally just totally fallen apart. It's the same regime in Chad, right, that you have the problems over there in Chad, right? It's the same regime in Ivory Coast, Right. So we see ourselves, there is a movement developing right now in Africa called Tunong Lopach. Let's turn the page. I'm sorry, say it again. Let's turn the page. Tunong Lopach. Mm-hmm. Let's is, turn the page. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It is, it is mm-hmm. mostly in um, French-speaking Africa mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of this attempt to coordinate a global transcontinent resistance mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. regime, this mm-hmm. French neo-colonial regime mm-hmm. um, uh, that has totally devastated lives and that is basically beyond just the lives it's also controlling the economy not like by tricks the money in these countries is being printed in france all their foreign reserves are controlled by the french treasury 
right? That is colonization 101. That is what colonialism yeah. is. What's the name of the, it's called the currency in, in Cameroon? It's called a CFA. Which stands for? It used to be the colonial French African franc. Right now they say well, it's now the Central African franc, but, right, right. They, but that is what it was called when and it this, was. Created. This is a sort of an international currency. It's used in several countries. It's and, used in all these French neo-colonial countries. Yeah, but it's yeah. printed in France, oh, controlled yeah. by the mm-hmm. French government, mm-hmm. um, and it's used to control the economy. All the reserves are there. So, for example, think about Sankara. Right when Sankara became president and started doing reforms in Ivory Coast and everything, the French government just sat on top of all the reserves. Right. Today, Burkina Faso. They, yes, they refused. Yeah. They refused him access to all reserves. Mm-hmm. And all the loans that the United States gave to him for his effort to try to stop the desert from invading his effort, all of those loans were, quote-unquote, stopped in transit. Mm-hmm. And the French government was like, yeah, we're going to get to the convention, we're going to get to it. They didn't allow any of that money to go mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. So this is a important... In fact, the French Diplo, that's the French... Um, diplomatic um, Twitter account once tweeted that the CFA is the French secret weapon for control of their territories. Except now when people put that back on the screen, they're like, oh, you you insulted us because the Italian prime minister was on the case. He was like... This, I'm sorry, this was when? That is five, uh, two weeks ago. Uh-huh. The Italian prime minister was like, because the French were like, oh, Italy should take some of these refugees. Why are you people refusing and sending those refugees in France? Italian Prime Minister is like, these refugees are all coming from Frank African countries that you are exploiting and colonizing. You should be sanctioned for maintaining colonialism after they were passed a law saying colonialism is a crime against humanity. And then, I think two days ago, the Turkish minister repeated the same thing. Right? Which is kind of a weird thing. Italy and Turkey, Italy, the five-star movement over there. Right. And Turkey, which is totally a non, um, non-secular in any way, right, from shape. Right. So it's kind of this problem in Europe that is going on where the right wing and the left, they are, they are questioning the status quo in a very strange way that sometimes it looks like it's in synchrony. Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, there's, there's sort of been a convergence in the so-called yellow vest movement. That is correct. Which uh, sits a little bit um, uh, uneasily with me. Well, the best person that I like to look at his reports on the yellow vest movement is uh, Greenman. Uh, what's his other name? Richard, Richard Greenman. Uh-huh. Because he writes for he writes for he's the head of the how they call that thing, the head of the what is his name the socialist who died, ah, I've forgotten his name. He he runs his his center. Victor Serge. Victor a researcher on Victor Serge. He runs the Victor Serge. Yeah, we just on this email list. He he does his he gets published every now and then in different mm-hmm. uh, left wing um, uh, media. He's English, I assume. He's American. Oh, he's American. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the the way he reports on it, it is basically the best way to to think of it would be a a grassroots movement that has some political uncomfortable things, but that is controlled by progressives. Yeah, well, I will look into his writing, but I'm uh, from what I've been able to read, I'm not entirely convinced that it's controlled by progressives. It seems to me that there's actually a struggle going on for. Well, I think there might be uh, the, the yellow vest movement. I, I think that's true. It's contested, and I think it also might um, vary from location to location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the things that we um, have tried to um, emphasize, um, you know, when discussing this with people, is that um, the the in, the initial um, like statement, like kind of manif- I can't, I don't know the, what they the, call the it. The demand, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it included a. Um, 
a, a demand that addressed the need for um, an end to the f the Frank Afrique, as it's called. The neocolonial oh, yeah. mm -hmm. control of mm -hmm. Africa, mm -hmm. through, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Frank Afrique. Really? And it was yes. very specific about... That's encouraging. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. yeah. So, so at least you know from that that um, the people that are, um, that, you know, initiated it have an explicit awareness of, like, a, an explicit an internationalism that, that is informing their work mm -hmm. and... Uh, and, 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 yeah. and, and and, 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 and well, I just hope they're going to be able to that continue to be able to control the narrative while uh, it seems like you know, some ugly xenophobic elements and so on have gotten that, on that, board. That, that is true. That is true. I, I guess the thing, the way to look at it is, for example, in Nance, where um, uh, uh, Green, Richard Greenman is, in Nance, they, they, they told the right wing that you cannot participate now. Right. Yeah, I'm aware of these okay, struggles so, going so, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the, the, there is a struggle, but the, I think the, 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 the idea is that these origins were not the right-wing backlash. Right. Its origins were progressive origins. It's just that the right-wing right is trying to cooperate. Right. Exactly, yes. exactly. All right, well, we're getting a little bit far afield from, uh, mm -hmm. from Ambazonia here, but uh, <clears throat> uh, anything else we want to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that the connection is really understanding that, um, you know, the roots of these this conflict in Amazonia, as well as many of the conflicts taking place globally now, are um, Western colonial um, Western colonialism, European-driven colonialism, which has um, just been replicating itself in different forms. Um, you know, and we we need to um, what, what, even though the politics may be messy, and the politics is is definitely complicated in Cameroon, it's definitely complicated in Amazonia, but we need people to um, sort of push through that complexity and not be silent and, and stand up for, the, for, these, for these situations. Um, and and it, 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 this is why we crafted the, the letter to the UN Human Rights Council, because this is, it should be a no-brainer. You know, like, you know, we, <laughs> we should be, like, if, if people on the left, if people in the progressive sphere in the U.S. were, were, not being silent, which is a thing that we, we challenge ourselves to, right? Well, then we should be getting floods of emails of people saying like, hey, <laughs> yes, tell the UN Human Rights Council to take this action. I can sign up for that. Like we can, our organization can sign up for that. Like, you know, are there things that make you uncomfortable? Are you worried about Boko Haram? Sure, let's talk about that. But like, w why can we not, well, that should not be an excuse not to speak up for these people right now who are saying in every way that they are able to say, we are being massacred. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so, so what's the response to that? Like, and, and, and we have to remember that this is all happening within the context of the history of colonialism. And, and so it is, it is all of our responsibilities to speak up in this situation. The situation arguably was created because the UN turned a blind eye in 1961 and allowed this, like, you know, um, backroom politics to, to go on um, in eviscerating the, the hopes and expectations of the Amazonian people. We can't, like, let that sort of, like, ignoring of it be the way that we interact yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, there's been a uh, <clears throat> tremendous, you know, paucity of coverage about this whole struggle in the outside world. I don't have to tell you guys that. Um, and you know, I mean, Americans in particular tend to be uh, a little bit provincial about the outside world. And if the if a situation isn't getting uh, a a lot of media coverage, and b if there isn't, you know, direct. U.S. involvement. And in fact, there is U.S. involvement, as we've stated in, mm-hmm. in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if there isn't like a, a real heavy handed direct U.S. involvement, if the people tend to, you know, their eyes tend to glaze over a little bit in this country. So, um, you know, it's what it's one of the things we try to do on the counter vortex is try to raise awareness about mm-hmm. about conflicts like this. So I really, really, really want to thank you folks, Eben Egbe and Amy Dalton. And I hope that uh, this podcast has at least uh, contributed a little bit towards uh, raising some awareness about the situation in Ambazonia. Thank you. Thank you very much. We really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. Hey! Okay, run away. 
Cameo. Are you got two? Oh no, comfortable. Ah, I'm gonna walk on my own. 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 I'm gonna walk on Come on, 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 come on,